in your bulletin, and as I said to you last Sunday morning, they're kind of highlights of, of the sermon, so I go through and highlight a number of statements that are in there, so you get a better flow than just bullet points, so you know beyond the 30 minutes that I take to share it with you, how you can personally unpack it. This morning, I have a number of questions to ask you, and I don't want you to answer them. I don't know why I almost always start a sermon with questions, but these are ones you don't need to answer, but I do want you to think about them for a moment. If I were to sit with you in a one-on-one conversation, and I ask how your spiritual life is going, do you feel you'd have the freedom to tell me? And what if I told you I already knew? Would that be scary or kind of free? And what if what you told me in private, I told everybody on Sunday morning? I mean, you and I had this one-on-one conversation, or at least if we didn't and you didn't tell me everything or even anything, but I came on a Sunday morning and I want to tell you about John. I want to tell you about Mary. I want to, if you have John and Mary, it's not you guys. I'm sorry about that. First service, Susie, I said John and Susie, and then I realized you guys are sitting here, so don't mean that. But if all of a sudden you and I had this conversation, or even if we didn't, you didn't, you know what? I don't feel comfortable. I, I just would rather not tell you anything. But I came on a Sunday morning and I told you all everything. How would you feel? That'd be kind of unnerving a little bit, wouldn't it? Well, to be honest with you, that's a little bit of what's going on here in Revelation 2 and 3. When you begin to look at these two chapters of Scripture and how Jesus comes in and assesses and analyzes and then declares what he sees in this church, you kind of get a feel for what I just shared with you a moment ago. Now, the difference is I may or may not be accurate in what I share in describing your spiritual life, but in this case, Jesus is the one giving the description, and he's always accurate. He tells the truth, and if we're honest, sometimes the truth makes us a little bit uncomfortable. But knowing that someone cares enough to tell you the truth about us can be very scary, or it can be incredibly freeing, right? I mean, if you've got a friend who walks into your life who you trust and who assesses or analyzes or is really honest about some of the things they see in your life, and they're honest enough to tell you that, isn't that a good friendship? Now, knowing that they're going to do that anyhow, based on your years of experience, it can be incredibly uncomfortable being around them, because you know they're going to tell you the truth. Or it can be incredibly free that you've got somebody in your life who loves you well enough to not just simply tell you what you want to hear, but to tell you the truth. I said in the first service this morning, you want the, the secret to a happy marriage, you just sang it. Tell your wife, it'll be my joy to say, your will, your way. <laughs> right? That is the secret to a happy marriage. Right, honey? It'll be my joy to say, your will, your way. Right? But if you don't mean that, you don't want to say that. You got somebody who walks into your life who knows you well enough, who cares about you enough to tell you the truth. And what I love about this section of Scripture is that Jesus is not just talking to a church, the church. He's talking to us in the church. And I want to hear what he has to say. In your sermon notes, you'll see that Jesus comes into these churches and gives them a pretty honest evaluation about their activities and their actions, their lifestyle, their, 
motives in their heart. If I were to ask you about our church, say you went out to dinner somewhere after the service and somebody said, so what'd you do this morning? Or you went to work tomorrow and said, so what'd you do on the weekend? You said, well, I went to church on Sunday morning. And really, which one? I go to CAC up there in Mercer and Duffy. Really, what's it like? Now, I got to believe there would be a lot of phrases that went out, right? And you'd tell them why you went or what it is about the church that you like. And if I were to ask you that question, you would probably tell me some similar things you said to them. And if I were really asking you to tell me the truth, you would say, well, there's some things you ought to improve on, right? I mean, none of us are perfect. We're not a perfect church. You all know that, right? Two reasons. One, I'm the senior pastor, and two, you're in it. (laughs) So we're not a perfect church, right? So if we were to walk into anybody's life and assess what we see, we would see some things that we think are really good and some things that need to be adjusted. It's exactly what he does here. Probably we'd see a lot of different descriptive words or characteristics, as you can well imagine, and so do the churches here in Revelation 2 and 3. And they come from someone who knows them best, who sees deep into who they really are and tells them what they need to hear. That's a good friend. And if you're going to hear the truth, wouldn't you want to hear it from someone who you really know knows it? And that's what he does here in this section of Scripture. Now, in your sermon notes, this book has some incredible lessons to teach us, some that we've discovered all along the way, and some we'll continue to discover. I'm going to be off the radar for the next couple of weeks, but, uh, and we'll pick up when I come back, but there are some incredible lessons in this section of Scripture. One is that God is completely aware of what you're going through and knows when to say what He needs to say. The key to that is at the end of every church statement. You know what the key to that is? I've got to be willing to hear it. Because at the end of every church statement, he says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear it. You know what that means, obviously, right? You've got to be in a place where you hear what I'm going to say, or otherwise you'll ignore it. So if you have an ear to hear, if you're willing to let me speak, I will speak. He knows exactly what to say and when to say it if we're willing to allow him to do that. Secondly, he reveals himself in incredible ways. For many of us, you've seen God do that down through the years, through worship, through the Word of God, in prayer from a friend or from a stranger. I had this note in my, in my notes, and I don't want you to miss it. Do not miss the subtle ways God reveals himself because you're only looking for the powerful. Do not miss the subtle ways that God reveals himself because you're only looking for the powerful. And that's a really key statement because sometimes we're looking for God to wow us. You know, you come and you listen to a worship experience and that song, how wonderful, how marvelous, my goodness. I was trying to save my voice because I almost lost it at the end of the first sermon. I'm going, I got to sing this song. I mean, it's just that good. And you're in that moment with God and you really recognize how unbelievable you are. That you would do this for us i got a note, it's not in this sermon, didn't say it in the first sermon, it's in the sermon I'm going to do a few weeks from now, but there's a note that I found in a commentary that I thought was one of the most powerful statements that I've seen. For those who think there are multiple ways to heaven when Jesus already declared he was the only way, how many of you believe that God would send his son to go through what he went through on the cross of Calvary to be beaten and scourged, die on a cross, if coming to God was multiple choice? Right? Who would do that? There's one way. And sometimes we're looking for the powerful, the awe moments, 
And we miss God speaking to us in the subtle, quietest ways. And so my encouragement to you is just look for those things every once in a while. Just be in a place where I'm listening. I'm open to whatever you want to say, however you want to say it. Now, there are times like John, God shows up in powerful ways. Lessons from John himself, number three, don't give up even though you don't always understand what God is doing. That is an understatement, and I get it. That's not easy to do. Don't give up even though you don't always understand what God is doing. You may not like it. You may not understand it. Things may happen to you that God didn't orchestrate because somebody else turned wrong, made a wrong decision, and now you're paying the price. And he would have not wanted you to go through that, but he promised you'd be with you in it, even in the middle of it. But even if there are things that God orchestrates and you don't get what he's doing in the end result, don't give up. I know you've heard me say before, I can't wait to get to heaven to have all those questions answered. And I've got a pretty list, what, pretty long list. Why'd you do that? What, what? On September the 12th in 1975, what, you know, I, I got all that list and I got to believe that it just won't matter. It really won't. I, and I said, when I go to heaven, when I'm hoping... I'm hoping that I'm still here for the rapture, which means we just go up into heaven, right? Two things I'm asking God to do. Let me hold on to my watch and my date book for about 1,000 feet. Then I'm just dropping them. And then my list of questions will be answered as well. Don't, all, don't give up, even though you don't always understand what God is doing. And I, I believe me, I know that's an understatement and a hard thing to do when you can't figure it out. Why you're going through this or why you went through that or why your loved one died or why... I get that. I'm just saying to you, don't give up, which is what John shows us over and over again. And then number four, you see Jesus' incredible love for the church, incredible love for the church. You get all kinds of emails, people beating up the church. Church shouldn't do this. Church shouldn't do that. Not just our church, but I mean the church universal. And, and I just keep reminded, this is Jesus' bride. You, you want to be really careful with how you take on his bride. We want to be perfect. We want to be pure. I get that. But Jesus loves the church, and not just great churches. They're troubled ones as well, and you see that all over. Last week to the church at Ephesus, look, you're working hard. I really appreciate that. But, but don't ever forget the relationship with the one you're serving. You're working really hard, and, and I get that. And I love the fact that he walks in and he, he starts with the love and what he sees and then moves to correction and then moves to a promise. And I said in the first service, look, for those of you who are parenting, because I skipped over that, for heaven's sake, correct. You know, I hear it all the time. Well, that's just the way Johnny is. Not if he was in my house, it wouldn't be. You know, so correct. Discipline means we're correcting. It's not, honey, you shouldn't kick the pastor. <laughs> oh, okay, we'll, we'll talk about that. When you, don't talk about it. Deal with it. Enough said. All right? Don't ever forget though to maintain the relationship with the one you're serving. He said, look, you lost your first love. You once had passion and fire. You couldn't wait to see me. You couldn't wait to come to church. You couldn't wait to talk to me. Couldn't wait to read my word. Now, it's kind of all about activity. And like in a marriage, when the fire and the passion are gone, all you do is end up going through the motions. Do not let that happen in your married life. Please, for the sake of the next generation, don't let that happen in your married life. Save me some counseling. Like in a marriage, do not let that happen in your married life, please, for the sake of the next generation. 
This is in no way to hurt those who have already gone through that water. I'm not doing that at all. But for those who are, are, are struggling and, and trying to work through it, my, my encouragement to you is to keep going for the sake of the next generation. I'll never forget till I lose my mind, which could be certainly around the corner, I get that, or I die, a 30-something, late 30-something girl standing in my office with tears running down her face saying, they told me how to just. When does that happen? I said, well, sweetheart, they lied to you. You don't. You, you deal with it, you learn, but you don't. And that is in no intention to hurt anybody in this audience. My intention is to just say, do everything you can to maintain the passion and the fire in that relationship. We've got counselors. God has blessed us in crazy ways with some of the best counselors CCC has to offer that come here every week. We want to help you with that. You not only don't want that to happen in your married life, you certainly don't want that to happen in your spiritual life. John says to, through Jesus, remember what you once had. How far you've fallen from that. Go back to where we started. Go back to that passion and that love when I found Jesus and I wanted to be in his word and I wanted to spend time with him. Go back to that, reignite that passion. Now he goes on and he speaks to the church of Smyrna, the persecuted church. He says, look, I know what you're going through. I know how difficult it is. I know what it feels like to be betrayed, alone, and forsaken. So my encouragement to you is do not give up. Hold on, I'm telling you, there is a great day in heaven waiting for you, and once you see it, you will never look back. Revelation chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write these words. These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions. I know your poverty. You need to understand, you're rich. I know about the slander of those who say they're Jews and are not, are the synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I'm telling you, the devil's going to put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death. And I'm telling you, I'll give you your life. I'll give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, whoever's willing to listen, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. To the one who is victorious, you will not be hurt at all by the second death. Smyrna is one of the only two churches who received encouragement and not correction. It was a real church, but also represents churches who have gone through the deep waters of persecution. And I think also, at least he speaks to individuals as well. Churches all across the planet, we have no idea what persecution is like. I don't care what we think in regards to what we're losing in our Christian values in America. And I, believe me, I get that and I'm, I'm as frustrated as you are. We just don't understand persecution like most of the rest of the world does when they come to faith in Christ. So it, it represents those churches, but many times even individuals, and I think he speaks to us as well. Every time he speaks, he looks at the church and identifies himself to them in a very specific way. Here to Smyrna, I'm the first and the last who died and came to life again. To that suffering church, he come and presents himself as someone who suffered and died and rose again. And they needed to hear that. They needed to know there is life after death. They needed to know that this life isn't all there is to life. They needed to know, and so do you and I. We need to know that this isn't just it, and all of a sudden, like Stephen Hawkins said, we just blink and it all goes away, and we'll never know what happens after that. We need to know there's life after death, and I will see Jesus when I walk into glory. For those of you who are at the end of life, struggling with life, struggling with cancer, the unknown, who have faced death, who have family members who died, babies who died, 
Whatever that may be, you need to know, I need to know, there is life after death. And this isn't all there is. And he, I love the fact that a church who probably wouldn't survive the persecution, and many of them won't survive the persecution, they needed really to know that. And i got to believe there's a few of us in here who have gone through those deep waters of death. You needed to know that as well. And you needed to have a pastor come to you, and hopefully you did, who said, I just need you to know, God has an amazing future for your loved one. Because I know they knew Christ. I know you know Christ. You'll see them again, and I'm telling you, you wouldn't want them back for anything in the world. You need to know that. And for those of us who lost loved ones, we need to know. Look at verse 9. He said, I know your afflictions. Now, it doesn't just mean I'm aware of the fact that you've gone through this difficult time. It really means I've been there. Now, I got to believe that you and I both had people come into our life at a difficult time and said, I know how you feel and I know what you're going through. And maybe you've said that to someone. I've learned not to say that, especially if I really don't know what they're going through. I've learned through the years not to say, I know how you feel when I don't. I, I know what you're going through when I haven't. And, and maybe I have in a similar way, but I've learned to just simply say, I can't imagine how you feel. I just want you to know I love you. I can't imagine what you're going through. I just want you to know I'm praying for you. And we've all had people in our life who have said that, and, and they walked away, and you said, you have no idea how I feel. And maybe there's somebody who walked into your life who you said, man, they do know how I feel. I'm loving the fact that I've got this kind of friend. What's fascinating about Jesus is, in his case, he really does know how you feel. And you're not alone. He needs you to know, I've been there. I'm there now. You are not going through this alone. I'll be right there in the middle of your pain. I know exactly what you're going through. It's not like God's in heaven saying, Gabriel, why on earth didn't you tell me they were going to go through that? I'd have been there for him. God knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly what you feel. He totally understands your pain. I have in your sermon notes Isaiah 53. I'm going to only read four verses, but you ought to read that whole chapter sometime. It's incredible. Describing Jesus, he was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrow and familiar with suffering. See what that means? Like one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities, he carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, now that I know Jesus as my Savior, I'm at peace with God. The punishment that brought us that peace was upon him. And by his wounds we're healed. We all like sheep, we've gone our own way. Every one of us turned our own way, and the Lord laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And through the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring prolong his days, and the will of God will prosper in his hand. He knows. He gets it. He sees it, and he feels it in the most genuine way he could ever express. The name Smyrna has in its root name myrrh. Now, you're familiar with that term, myrrh. It's perfume extracted from a thorny tree or a bush used to prepare bodies for burial. At Jesus' birth, we celebrate it every time we come to Christmas, the Magi brought three gifts to him. Gold, fitting for a king. Frankincense or incense, fitting for a priest. 
who was going to make offerings to God, and myrrh, fitting for a king and a priest who was most likely going to die. At Jesus' crucifixion, he was offered wine mixed with myrrh. At his burial, his body was wrapped in it. In order to extract the perfume, the bush or the berry had to be crushed, and when it was crushed, out would come this sweet-smelling flavor. That imagery is powerful. It happened with Christ when He was crushed, and He's hoping that it happens to us and to those being persecuted. There's two verses in your notes, Philippians 2.17 and 2 Corinthians 2.15, where Paul uses the term drink offering twice, and he says, I, I want to be a drink offering. I want to I be that sweet-smelling aroma of Christ. Even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I'm going to do it anyway. You know what he's trying to help us understand? This very vivid image that every Jew would understand. They've all seen sacrifices. They had a history of seeing sacrifices. They knew what it was like to go and the priest would offer the sacrifice. They would slay the bull or the lamb. They would put it on the altar. The blood would pour out. They would burn up the altar and all of that. And they were very familiar with those were the visual images of what they could see. That was the, the powerful stuff, the one thing that everybody notices. And near the end of the sacrifice, the priest would come out with a goblet of wine. And while the embers were just starting to, to, to go out, but were still there a little bit, he would take that goblet and he would pour it over those embers. And there was that, you know, that hissing sound. You've all been campfires and, and hopefully you put out your campfire before you left so it didn't set the forest on fire. Okay, and then and, and you poured the water over it and you saw it hiss. They would do that with wine. There would just be that, that sweet smell just for a moment. Paul said, look, I'm in prison and I don't know if I'm going to come out. I may die through all of this. And I have no idea. He's not sitting there writing 2,000 years from now on CAC. They're going to be reading my words. He has no idea. But he's saying, if my life on this earth and my time here and the knowledge of me is just for that one glimmer, sweet moment of time, I'll do it anyhow. When we all want recognition and affirmation, want everyone to know us and our life to last forever and to go on forever so that we're always memorialized, Paul said, look, if it's just for a moment, I'm okay with that. I don't need all the attention and the affirmation that goes with that. I just want to know that my life, as little or as long as it may be, would be a sweet-smelling aroma of Christ when I go through the deep waters of fire. And if that's all it is, and I know that, I'd do it anyhow. Now, the whole topic in your sermon notes, and when you read this, you'll know this is Denny. This is how Denny speaks. The whole topic causes me to ask myself a question, how do I smell when things get tough? Right? I mean, that's an honest question. I've never been persecuted. I've been very disappointed, certainly been betrayed, and I've been really deeply hurt. And what saddens me at times is going through it, I may have not smelled so good. I wanted, like Paul, to be that sweet at Rome in the nostril of Christ, but not always, but sometimes it just hasn't smelled so good. I don't know if any of you can relate. Maybe you all are great at it. I just got kind of disappointed with myself when I read that. There's times that going through deep waters, I've whined and complained. 
I'm sure I probably defended myself. When hurt, I don't always like what comes out. I, I really want to respond like Christ. 1 Peter 2.23 has been one of my verses through the years. When they hurled insults at him, didn't have to retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He didn't have to defend himself. Didn't have, well, you... He just went through it. And I thought, I, I, I wish I want, to, I want to be like that. The Smyrna church manifested its suffering in a number of ways, in affliction and slander and certainly poverty. And, and, and their poverty didn't mean they only had one car, drove a Chevy instead of a Lincoln. They were poor. And they ended up with nothing. And like the poor today, they become the topic of a number of slanderous comments. Their affliction, he said, is only short compared to eternity. Like, like Paul, they believed that there was more to life than this life. They knew that God had something reserved for them in heaven, and he said, if you'll just be willing to go through it, no matter what, even if you don't understand it, I want you to hold on to the end, because I'm telling you, once you get there, you will not look back at all. And it made me wonder, like I'm asking you, how we do when it comes to real suffering in your notes. How, how we do when it comes to real suffering, uh, one thing I know for sure, that our faith, if it is phony, or we're just playing a religious game, suffering in your sermon notes will reveal that. If our faith is phony and we're just playing a religious game, suffering's going to reveal that. I honestly don't believe there were any hypocrites in the Smyrna church. <laughs> any just playing the game, man, they just, nope. I've got to wonder if one of the reasons there's no correction to them is that every one of them were genuine Christians. They weren't just playing a game. People who play the religious game, usually, to be honest with you, don't hang around when the heat gets turned up because hard times in your sermon notes will reveal genuine faith. Hard times will reveal genuine faith. First Peter, he said, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while you have to suffer grief for all kinds. And, and I know it. When you're in it, it certainly does not seem like a little while. But these have come, so your faith, greater value than gold. It perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ is revealed. You ever have somebody in your life who you've walked up, or maybe somebody's walked up to you and said, man, how on earth are you dealing with this? And it's that moment where you say, Jesus. That's what he said, that glory and honor would come to Jesus. Because you're able to say to them, I'll tell you how I've gone through it. I wouldn't choose to go through this for anything in the world, but can't, you just can't believe the amount of strength that I've gained from my relationship with Christ. Let me tell you about it. That, that's what he's referring to in that, that you may have that opportunity when you go through that. If your faith is real in your sermon notes, it'll stand the test. If your faith is real, it will stand the test. Missionary Jim Elliott in the 1950s, I think, early 50s, somewhere along that way, who just simply wanted to help a group of Aka Indians in Ecuador or Peru, said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Here's my life, God. I'm not going to hold on to it so tightly that if you want to take it, you can take it. I know what I'm in the future. Now, to be honest with you, what's really hard to understand when it comes to persecution is why some face it and some don't. Why some go through such deep waters and others don't. I, I have no answer for that. I don't have an answer for the 10-day thing. You can go find a commentary and they'll tell you what the 10 days mean. I don't know the answer to that. We've been arguing it for 2,000 years. Why am I going to try? But I do know this. 
There are times when it is difficult to understand, and I understand that. The Smyrna church received persecution. The church of Philadelphia escaped it. Peter gets released from prison by the angels of God. Stephen gets stoned. Why? John the Baptist gets beheaded. This John gets exiled. Corey Ten Boone lives. Her sister dies in a Nazi prison camp. Jim Dobson, in his book, When God Doesn't Make Sense, one of the best I've ever read, story after story after story, synopsized into one statement at the end of the book, which is about this thick, that says our trust in Him has to be independent of our understanding of what He does, because there'll be times in your life where you do not understand what He does, but your faith in Him cannot waver. And if your faith in God is only in what He does or doesn't do, you will be challenged. But if your faith is in God Himself, regardless of what you understand, you'll stay strong. But we cannot, in your notes, give up, give in, or give over. Because we end up like the next churches that we'll deal with in a few weeks. Pergamum Thyra, the compromising churches where Jesus walks in with that double-edged sword that just cuts deep into our soul and those blazing eyes that said, I see who you are. And I know where you're at. You've let sin creep into your life and into your church and you're doing nothing about it. The more you compromise the more numb you become to the tug of the Holy Spirit. And the only stop left is the church at Sardis in Revelation 3. And everyone thinks you're alive, but I know the truth God says in your notes. You're dead. What I love about God is He tells us the truth. And He wants us to honestly understand where we're at and what we can learn from Him so that when the heat gets turned up, and maybe for nobody in this room have you gone through deep waters. But for those of you who have, when the heat gets turned up, you'll stand the test because you know in the end it will be worth it all. Father, your word is so powerful. And I pray, oh God, in the name of Jesus, that you will continue to speak in really profound ways. I know there are a lot of us in the room who at some point have our lives have gone through some really deep waters, certainly never like this maybe, and it's like many churches around the world, but we've gone through deep waters and, and we, we, we need to know that you know. And we came out the other side and we saw that and we had incredible opportunities to share. For those that are in it, wondering when it will end, pray God in these next couple of moments they'll just spend some time listening they want, we want to be in a place where we hear what the spirit we want our ears to be open what you say to us so would you speak in Christ's name Dave and the team are going to sing very familiar we've done it a lot here we'll come to the altar it's just one of those freeing songs and I, I wanted to finish a little bit early so you and I would have time just to spend a, a minute or two with God saying I need you to know where I'm at and I need to hear from you. I want to be open to your voice. You listen, and then I'll come back. You talk to God.